The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the giver of life and you have blessed us with the lives we have, with the lives of people we love. Uh, the subject we're going to talk about now is a very difficult one. Help me to speak truthfully according to your word. We pray, Lord, that you would give help to those who have been hurt, those who may be struggling. We pray that you would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this is a really tough topic <laughs> to deal with, um, but it's a necessary and an important one. I mean, Steve brought up the person that he was using as his case study at the end of his talk, a lady who said, if my life doesn't change, I'm going to take my life within a year. I'm not going to live through another Indiana winter. Um, I have, I was actually, as I've been dealing with some suicides closer to home in recent days, I went back over my life and remembered the different people I've known, tried to help even, who have taken their own lives, going back uh, even to high school. And, but the way I got engaged with this topic is I got a phone call from a pastor, not in our immediate area, who said that a former member of his staff, who had just recently quit, had taken his own life. And before he did that, he also killed somebody else. And he wanted me to come and speak to their extended staff. How do we deal with this? Because this is someone who was like a son to the pastor, somebody who was very close to other people on the staff. And so I started trying to pull things together from my experience, Journal of Biblical Counseling. I have a friend who's written some stuff about this. And I was privileged in the sense from the perspective of a biblical counselor based on the Word of God. How can we minister the comfort of the Spirit? How can the body of Christ work? Uh, when we went up there, we had the privilege of meeting with the widow. And my wife and I sat with her for quite a while after I'd given my talk to the staff. And uh, that was very moving, but it was also really giving an understanding of what you go through when you've been left behind. The angry texts he sent her shortly before he took his own life and her having to deal with the guilt that he was trying to lay upon her. Not long after that, something happened even closer to home where a dear friend who actually had been working in biblical counseling and with whom I had worked took her own life through pills. And we had never heard of that happening before in terms of the biblical counseling circles. And that also raised questions. How can this happen? And, and what can we say? And so really what I have to say is broken into two major parts. One is, and taking it from the standpoint of you as counselors, it would be how do you help the people left behind? And then the second part is, how do you help prevent this for people who are struggling with this? And how do you address them with the Word of God? Um, and first of all, you know, suicide is a growing problem. We will hear many of us from time to time of people making that threat. We've all probably have friends, people in our churches whose family members have taken their own lives. People here probably have dealt with that. More people die in the U.S. of suicide than of auto accidents. 
the guesstimate is 40,000 a year of reported, but the actual numbers are way underreported. I was talking to someone who was like involved in the medical examiner and then, you know, the family would like any explanation other than suicide, accidental overdose. And so the numbers are way underreported and the number of attempts, you know, by 10 or 20 times over exceed the number of successful attempts. Uh, those left behind experience overwhelming emotions. And I have here, you know, responding to an unexpected death when Absalom, you know, oh, that I would have died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Nothing can prepare you for the unexpected death of a loved one. And there is probably nothing harder to know about their death than they would have taken their own life. Uh, the suicide survivor isn't the person who survived an unsuccessful suicide attempt. It's the spouse, the child, the co-worker of someone who decided to end his or her own life. And there are going to be feelings. And kind of like Steve has talked about, we as biblical counselors, although we don't think the past is determinative, we think it's significant. We don't think feelings are determinative. We don't live by feelings. We live by the Word of God. But feelings are real and need to be taken seriously. And we also want to counsel with compassion. And so there are going to be feelings. I mean, initially, the body, hormones, heartbeat, emotions of fear and panic, anger, and then mentally confusion, unable to make decisions, a sense of loss, a temptation, sense of despair, hopelessness, guilt, could I have done something? Um, sitting with the widow in this particular case where her angry husband had been texting her how terrible she is and whatever happened would be her, you know, her fault. That's a horrible thing to live with. There can be anger, anger at the person who did it. It could be anger at the people who may have contributed to it somehow. Some are tempted to be angry with God. Why did God let this happen? There can be fear. What am I going to do now? Could other people do it? Could I do it? I know I have friends where they've had other family members take their own lives, and especially there's been a couple family members think, is this something genetically wired into me, and someday it's going to happen to me, and I have these thoughts, maybe it will. Um, and God may seem very distant. There are psalms that express that. We'll get to later. Uh, it's normal and right to mourn, but we should not grieve as those who have no hope. First Thessalonians 4:13. Uh, some of us, again, people are different in this way. Some of us, and I'm probably more in this category, try to keep our emotions real level, and we just try to kind of not really deal with these things and enter into them. Other people get swept away, and both can be dangerous. Uh, Jesus wept. It's, it's appropriate to weep over death and tragedy. And it's unnatural not to feel anything. And it, we, it's wrong to suppress that. On the other hand, we can't be consumed by it because we have a hope in Christ. Um, sometimes the emotions emerge later where there's kind of the panic response initially and you're just dealing with it. And then months or years later, one man who suddenly lost his wife, wrote, often the real crisis comes months after the actual circumstance. What is true is that life has changed. 
and you will have changed and you won't stay the same if it's somebody close to you. Uh, some of you may be old enough to remember a previous personality, Art Linkletter, whose daughter committed suicide when she was 19. She jumped out of a building after she'd been doing drugs. And he writes, my own personal experience with it is it's still a nightmare. And this is many, many years later. The death of my daughter, Diane, after experimenting with LSD, changed my life and the lives of everyone in my family. We still find it difficult to understand or discuss. Uh, Bruce Ray, who's written a booklet about this that I have referenced in the back, I think he's the one that made the expression, are you going to be better or bitter as you deal with this? Thankfully, even that temptation is one that 1 Corinthians 10.13 speaks to, that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will give you a way to escape sin. Uh, one problem that people who are left behind have is they have all these questions and they want answers. And I love Deuteronomy 29, 29. It tells you the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. And the question, there may be questions you never get the answer to, and that can be frustrating. Uh, why did he do this? How could she do this? How could she do this to all of us? Could I have done something? to prevent this? Could the pastor, could my father? How could someone who seemed to be walking with God fall so far so fast? Why didn't God prevent it? If it can happen to him, can it happen to me? And some questions are not going to be answered satisfactorily. You have to, God does know everything, but God does not reveal everything. But the thing, another thing I love about Deuteronomy 29.29 is the things revealed do belong to us. That God's word has sufficient answers to bring us through this crisis, even if it doesn't answer all the questions we want, it answers all the questions we need answered. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so you turn to what God has revealed in its sufficiency, uh, reminding yourself that God is good, God is just, God is kind. The Bible reveals that very plainly. Uh, I like you know, how Steve was describing how uh, it's not wrong to ask questions. Um, it's not wrong like Habakkuk did to query God. And these are just examples of God even bringing good out of evil like in the case of Joseph. That Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you, and my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So many of the Psalms for the person left behind or the people left behind, you're crying out to God, not that you're going to get an answer that satisfies you, not that you're even going to feel better today, but you're trusting in Him to get you through it. And I'm going to later bring you to my favorite passage for things like this. Um, now, there are things we do know. And what I'm convinced of maybe is a most important thought is when someone make, takes their own life, spiritual warfare has been going on and will continue to go on, and you need to be equipped. John 8, we're told that Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning. And he still walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do not blame God for what happened. Uh, the enemy has done this. He loves death. 
He loves destruction. He is not only a killer, he's also a liar, John 8, 44. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And this is something I think is absolutely crucial, is that the person who killed themselves believes Satan's lies. We'll get to that when we talk about helping that person. You, too, are going to be tempted to believe the devil's lies. The person who took his own life believed things would be better because he took his own life. Suicide will end the pain. There's no hope. Nobody can forgive me. Nobody wants me. Others would be better without me. Or I must have whatever it is I desire or my life isn't worth living. But the evil one wants to deceive you also. Paul warns the Corinthians, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so we need to be aware. And, you know, how does he want to lie to us, deceive us? Well, I think of that widow. Satan would love to, for her to think it's all her fault. He would love to deceive her by false guilt. Or others left behind. If you would have just been a better wife, if you would have just been a better friend or better pastor, then he wouldn't have done it. Um, the truth is, and this is, I'll say it a couple times, it's really important. No influence can make somebody sin. What kind of wife, husband, friends, even the drugs they take, head injury, these are influences, but they are not determinative. Um, this person is responsible for the choice they made. Likewise, there can be a temptation to blame others. Uh, it's the fault of his bad friends. It's the fault of his wife because she didn't take care of him. It's... Uh, Whoever, again, suicide is an act of, of the will of the person who did it. It is never an involuntary consequence of what somebody else did. Are you with me? It is never that. The Bible holds us responsible for our decisions. Back to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You can always turn to God for the way of escape, even if your circumstances are difficult. Uh, Satan would love for you to doubt the goodness of God, the power of God. He would love to get you to deny your faith, to blame God. He would love to drive you to despair. And we have to be prepared in the midst of spiritual warfare to answer the lies of the devil with the truth of the Word of God. Uh, interesting, Brian, who's speaking in the other room and will be one of our main speakers, Brian Borgman, this year came out with a book on spiritual warfare, going through the armor of God. And that's where you need the shield of faith and the belt of truth and you know all of the elements of really the gospel and, and these truths by which we are saved and by which we endure, we need to focus on ver those very realities. Spiritual warfare isn't some mystical thing where you're zapping demons by naming them. Spiritual warfare is building up your faith in the truth of the Word of God, the righteousness that Christ has given you which protects you, and we need major doses of that. We destroy speculations and everything lofty raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking our thoughts captive to Christ. Satan would like to be in charge of your thoughts. Um, and it is appropriate that we hate Satan and his works. I hate death. I especially hate self-murder. And an enemy does that. And, but thanks be to God that we have armor by which we fight this battle, and we need to be putting that on. It's, it's, this is the answer. It's what the Word of God describes. 
Um, Satan wants you to be complacent. Satan wants you to depend upon human wisdom. Uh, Satan wants you to do anything other than go to the Word of God and find strength. And we need to be careful because this can be a dangerous place. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore, let him who thinks he stands take care lest he fall. Um, you might think, well, I could never turn from the Lord. I could never fall into despair or do this myself. Put on the armor of God because Satan is active and he wants to destroy. He's not satisfied with the one he already got. So all of these things I trust you know so well. Um, read Brian's book. It's excellent. There's a summary of that, an easy, read, easy to read summary of what the armor of God is all about. And, by the way, Satan will be satisfied to knock you down little by little. A little bit of anger, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of despair, and it builds. But the good news is that the grace of God is sufficient for you. Um, and there are all kinds of reasons for that. You're tempted to think, like in Lamentations, is there any suffering like my suffering? But the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. And part of the blessing of the reading of the Word of God is, I guess in terms of what Steve was saying, God has in the past, through your brothers and sisters, even thousands of years ago, enabled them to slay giants, to endure despair and tragedy, and faithfully serve Him. And He's even done that for you. Others have endured these trials. And so, as the psalmist says, in the day of trouble, I will call upon you, and you will answer me. Psalm 86, verse 7. And so, to be in the Word of God, that God is the God of all comfort, and then part of this comes further down as well, is that we're in the body of Christ, we comfort one another. Um, God's grace is sufficient. You think of Paul with his thorn in the flesh. Uh, the thorn in the flesh exposes Paul's weakness. Paul was a pretty strong man, right? Stronger than any of us, I would imagine. And God gave him that thorn in the flesh that he might be strengthened by having to learn to trust in God and not in his own strength. And so God uses tragedy like this to teach us to trust in him. And knowing our perfect weakness, we still have, we still have hope. And I've already mentioned that. Prayer, that's in the day of my trouble. Sometimes you have, a, what should you do if you have a loss for prayer? You ever feel that way? You hurt so much, you can't find any words to speak to God. Well, there's 150 prayers all in a row <laughs> by people who have been through what you've been through. And those can be magnificent to help you. Um, the New Testament prayers are also very helpful. But you've got, and so many of the Psalms are people who are sad. I'm just going to pick one Psalm. And it used to be a Psalm I was afraid to show to depressed people and sad people. But... I, it's the saddest, does anybody know what this, the saddest psalm in the Psalter? Or, I mean, I guess it's a matter of opinion, huh? 88, 88 is the saddest psalm. Yeah. If you want to look at it for just a moment. And 
I used to almost be afraid to show somebody that psalm like it would scare them or something. But if your heart is broken and you've cried out to God and you feel no better, it's somehow a comfort to see that you're not the only person who's been through that. You're not the only person who's day after day in your own feeble way tried to seek the face of God and didn't get there the way you hoped to. And the psalm, I'm not, I can't read the whole psalm because of time, but just the pattern of it. O oh Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out day by day and night. And let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul has had enough troubles and my life has gone down to Sheol. I'm reckoned among those who go down to the pit. And so he's describing all this. Now, in every other psalm I'm aware of that has this pattern, and the scholars, Hebrew scholars, kind of set up the psalms and the pattern of the psalms with this kind of a cry of distress, you know, I'm in trouble, I cried out, then God helped me. Well, he's in trouble, he cried out, this psalm has no help. Um, you know, he's pleading with God for help now. And in verses 13 to 18, the psalm ends, not like the other psalms do. You delivered me, things are better. But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from youth on. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. Amen. Put that one to a happy praise song. But that's the reality of grief. Now, the fact that it's in the Bible and whoever wrote it's in heaven, it did have a happy ending, but not that day. We fight doubt, which is back reading the word. This is my comfort and my affliction. Your word has revived me. You need reviving? Actually, Psalm 119 is the psalm of revival. I think the word revival is used more in that psalm than anywhere else. It's also the longest chapter in the Bible. But it's, he's pleading for, how do you get revived? God doesn't just zap you. He uses his word to revive you. And for the person who is broken, you may need to be the one to read the word to that person. Remember the character of God. Uh, that he is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And you're, you're remembering who God is because Satan wants to tell you, like he did to Eve in the garden, that God isn't really on your side. He's really trying to keep good stuff from you. And God is good and gracious. Remember that he has delivered you in the past. Also take comfort that we have a Savior who has, that's another about who God is. Actually, I should focus on this one for a moment. Hasn't he proven that he loves you? That's the argument in Romans 8. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Think about what God has done for you, even if you don't understand what he's doing now. There's hope and there's comfort. He has helped you in the past. And then we have a Savior who says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. 
Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so we may receive mercy and find grace to find help in the time of need. Well, the loss of a loved one through suicide is a time of need, but there's nothing you're suffering that our Lord has not suffered the same and more. He, in his humanity, understands what you're going through, and he is sympathetic. And the good news is he also has conquered death. It's another passage that's describing that. He has defeated death. That's actually also in Hebrews chapter 2. What an enemy death is. And nothing can separate you from his love. Romans 8.35 The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. Are you glad you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God? Do you need comfort? Do you need hope? You are not alone. And there's comfort in eschatology. Eschatology is really important in biblical counseling. Eschatology is the doctrine of last things. And even though in this room I'm sure there's more than one view represented about millenniums and tribulations and things like that, on this we can agree Christ is coming again. Every tear will be wiped away and it will be glorious. And in the midst of a tragedy of, of a loss of life and a broken heart, it is good to know that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. We all can agree about that. And we agree in that day every tear will be wiped away and we will have everlasting joy in his presence. And those are things we need to think about. That's, um, and then this is my passage when I'm tempted to despair. And this is a funny passage, but for that, but this is, this is like really been crucial for me, and it actually seemed to help the folks I was helping with this uh, some months ago. This is when Jesus has been teaching that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, and no one can come to me as the Father sent me draws him, and people are leaving. Uh, the crowds are dispersing, and as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with them anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And, and for me, the deepest despair I've had is on, a, on unsaved kids, adult kids. And there are times when I have grieved deeply and felt despondent. But this verse is like, where am I going to go? <laughs> Am I going to become an atheist? Am I going to become an agnostic? Am I going to become a Buddhist? Am I going to... There's nowhere else to go. I know it's true. I know he is who he says he is. I'm not loving life right now. But I know that Christ is who he says he is. And to me, I cling to that. I remember the worst sadness I've ever known, feeling like I'm one of these cartoon characters, Roadrunner, Coyote or something, and where you're on the edge of the cliff and the cliff is breaking and feeling like that. And then the, the cliff is collapsed and you're hanging on to a branch. Like this was my branch. That I can't let go of that branch because I know he is who he says he is. I know the word of God is true. I know the gospel is true, even though nothing else makes sense to me right now. And then God has put us in the body of Christ that... It says, if we've been comforted in our afflictions, we're able to comfort those who are afflicted with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. People who are hurting should not be isolated. They need friendship, sympathy. 
We are a body. One part cannot exist without the other. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, we need to point them to the hope only God can give. Again, this is the warning of being tossed and turned, but if you're in the body, there is stability. I can't, for time, read all the passages. Um, and then we're pointing them, the tree planted by the water is the person who learns to trust in God and not people. People let you down. Well, you know, the person who died really let you down. The person who took his own life or her own life. And if you, your hope is in them or was in them, you're like the bush in the desert. But if you learn to trust in God, you can again be like the tree planted by the water bearing fruit and enduring the drought. And then offer practical help. That's uh, again back to the hope we have only in Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Um, don't say, let me know if you need anything. <laughs> Just show up with food. Pray, talk, listen a whole lot. Uh, one person who has experience as a uh, chaplain and for fire and police, often going to suicide scenes, he had a list of things to say and things not to say. Don't say to a Christian even, well, it must have been God's will. Or at least you have another child. I understand. Well, if you've never been through this, you really don't fully understand. Are you okay? Instead, how are you doing? Time heals all wounds. Things to say, I'm here to help you as much as I can. You won't have to face this alone. I know this is hard for you. How you're feeling is normal under these circumstances. Let me pray with you, for you. The Spirit will help you <laughs> to know what to say. Uh, this is describing being arrested, but I think to me, being in a situation with a family where someone has taken his own life, I feel as unable to know what to say as would somebody before the ruler is about to have his life taken away, or like those people in Sudan or something like that. You need the help of the Spirit in those circumstances because you just feel like anything you say is going to be wrong. So that's ministering to those left behind, now kind of understanding how to help people who are tempted to suicide and haven't done it yet. Um, when I was in high school, I was converted by God's grace when I was probably a freshman in high school, I was baptized when I was a sophomore in high school, and actually some of you may have heard of Ray Ortland, he was my youth leader. <laughs> um, and among good things he taught us in discipleship was evangelism. And so we had Bible studies sometimes at my house. And there was a kid who was in band and was in the neighborhood that was smart and talented and isolated. And so I started inviting him to youth group at my house. And he became part of the group. I think he was from a Catholic background, but he, he kind of fit in. And I mean, he started to like it, and he came. And I didn't think that much about it. I would talk to him some, and I'd be kind to him, but I, it wasn't like I made him my best friend. And one night after youth group, he was going to walk home, just block away, and he pulled me aside and said, you know, when you first started inviting me to this, I'd already decided to kill myself. 
and it was going to happen. And I want to thank you. And he's crying, this awkward, gangly, smart, nerdy guy. Um, thank you for inviting me. And I, I'd never even heard the guy talk much in terms of expressing himself, but he's weeping and thanking me for saving his life when I had no idea I was doing that. But as I thought back on that in my own life when I'm 15 or 16 years old, I'm thinking, how many people right now are there in your family, your church, your circle of friends, your neighborhood, who are not far from where this guy Rob was in 1974? <laughs> and the good news, by the way, is you're not responsible to save them all. I didn't know I was saving anybody. <laughs> I'm hopefully was actually converted to Christ as well as living longer, but there are people like this, and I'm thankful to believe that it's not my responsibility if it doesn't work. Actually, that's the thing big in counseling. I remember when I first started doing this, I'm thinking, it's kind of scary to think someday somebody I counseled may take his own life or her own life. But if, you keep, if you're willing to invest in people, someday it's probably going to happen. That's just a risk you have to take, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to grieve you. But you know, with We've already talked about the statistics, and um, so how do we understand it? Well, suicide is sinful. You agree? You shall not murder. Murder is the unauthorized taking of life. And as I said earlier, you may be in pain. You may be going through a terrible trial. You may have had a head injury. You may be losing your spouse. Your child might have died of leukemia. These are all influences. And we should, as biblical counselors, have great compassion to weep those who weep over those things. But they are not causes. And suicide, like other murder, is denying God's sovereignty over life. He is the one who has the right to take life or to give life. He has appointed the time of death. And Part of the problem, we live in a culture now where suicide is being seen more as a good thing and a human right for those who choose to do it. Uh, Thomas Saz, who is a psychiatrist, says, a man's life belongs to himself, hence he has the right to take his own life. Well, that's why we're not psychiatrists, some of us. <laughs> not all psychiatrists believe that, but quite a few do. Now, my life, you are not your own. As a Christian, you've been bought with a price. But the Bible also teaches that God owns you by virtue of creating you, even if you're not a believer. You still belong to Him and you're accountable to Him. You're made by Him in His image, and you don't have the right to do yourself in. And so you're making yourself autonomous from God. And for a believer, again, your body belongs to God. You've been purchased with the price of the blood of Christ. So it's primarily wrong because of what it does in relation to God, but it's also wrong because of the harm you do to others, those left behind. So it's, it's a rejection of the two great commandments of the love of God and, and the love of neighbor. Uh, there are a handful of examples of suicide. Some are a little bit disputed, but uh, Hithophel is a clear example. Well, and he's a guy that was working with Absalom, and when Absalom didn't take his advice, he could see the future, what was going to happen, and he just put his affairs in order and took his own life. Judas, 
Saul and Samson, Saul kind of saw, saw, saw what was coming, Samson, another circumstance. It's interesting, though, what did Satan tempt Jesus to do when he was standing up on the pinnacle? To take his own, to jump and see if the angels would catch him. Um, there are many myths about suicide, and it should be, I mean, it, not all suicidal people are technically depressed. Uh, not all suicide people, suicided people have a mental illness as such certainly not a physical illness. Uh, people who threaten suicide won't really do it. They just want attention. Some, are, some of these are true. I mean, some people are this, but not all. Or just thinking about taking one's own life means you will do it. I think a very large percentage of the population has thought about it. Many of us have thought, I wish I was dead. You read Job. Job refuses in chapter 2 to take his own life when his wife says, curse God or die. But then he says, it was a bad day when this baby was born. I wish it had been stillborn. That's me. <laughs> um, so it's something I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but many of us have struggled from time to time with not liking our lives. Um, also, it doesn't mean if someone was once suicidal, that's going to be an ongoing problem for the rest of their lives. Um, and this is an important one. Some people say, well, if they're a little more cheerful, then that's safer. Well, sometimes more energy gives them the drive to go ahead and do what they weren't able to do when they were so depressed. And so now I've got the courage, now I've got the energy to finally do this decisive self-expressing act. Um, talking about it encourages somebody to do it. Probably talk... I mean, what I read on a practical level is talking about it's a good idea. Part of it we'll get to in a moment more is that he's, the devil is telling him a bunch of lies. Getting those out and giving answers from the Bible is a big part of trying to help this person. Uh, people have various reasons why they take their own lives. Oh, there's another myth that a believer can't do it. Some of you know William Cooper or have heard of him. He was one of the great hymn writers who tried to take his own life, um, was, had horrible depression. So it's possible, for, you know, like any other sin, virtually, a believer can do that. Uh, and again, like the person we cared about who took her own life, we think she's a believer. We think she's with the Lord. We don't think what she did was right, but that's our belief, that you're justified by faith in Christ. And his death paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future. It's not the unforgivable sin according to Scripture. Um, you know, people take their own lives. Sometimes they've lost hope, like Ahithophel. He saw his counsel wasn't followed. He saddled his donkey, arose, went to his home, to his city, set his house in order, strangled himself, and he died and was buried in the grave of his father. That's a very kind of logical, ordered man uh, doing a very evil thing. Uh, but you'll see that with people. My life is so messed up, it can never be fixed. It is hopeless. Uh, some people, it's anger. I'll show them. She did this to me. She treated me this way. She didn't believe me when I said I would do it. Jealousy. My wife's with another man. Feelings of depression, self-pity, pride, shame, guilt, vengeance. 
loneliness, rejection, loss. Lost job, lost money, power. Um, there's a risk when somebody gets a diagnosis of cancer. There's a greater risk sometimes of someone uh, doing something. It's interesting. Uh, any of you watch 24? Maybe I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> there we go. Well, the new series of 24. I'm not going to ruin it if I tell you what happened. Okay, well, you've got the President of the United States who has Alzheimer's, and somebody's basically saying if the President will trade his life, a bunch of people will be saved. And so he wants to give his own life, but, his, but part of it is he doesn't feel like his life is worth living because he's not going to be able to function as the great, brilliant man that he once was because the Alzheimer's is advancing. So he goes into Wembley Stadium, and they shoot a missile at him. I won't... Huh? Right, the drone missile. You saw it. <laughs> Jack Bauer was on the job. So we're going to watch the president go probably before the, year's over, the series is over. He will be senile and crazy president. That will be the new problem. Pardon me for that interruption. Um, one author writes that suicide is more about living than dying. Suicidal subjects are unhappy with their lives. It's not so much that they want to die, they just don't want to go on living the way they are. Isn't that fit what Steve was talking about, that, that lady? I'm sick and tired of living this way. I'm done. And another quote that, well, that's the one I did from Bruce already, from Jeff Black, I think who wrote in the Journal of Biblical Counseling, a core feature in suicidal thinking is the belief there are only two choices, pain or death, essentially. That's a lie. A large percentage of people who take their own lives have a lot of drug and alcohol into their systems, which may embolden them. Um, and again, I will repeat, a person may have many influences in his life, but none of these is determinative. Bad friends, brain disease, and I'll be concrete, okay? For the widow, was she a perfect wife? She was not. Did the husband let her know it? Boy, did he ever. And each of us, right, especially if our spouse did that, you could look back and say, if I would have been a better spouse, this may have happened, not have happened. And what can you do? Well, first, you can confess to God that you realize you weren't the wife you should have been in these ways that are actually true. And then if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that that has been laid upon Christ. But you are not responsible for his death. Uh, there are people who have had worse wives than you, by far, who've lived. He made this choice. Everybody has tough stuff. Everybody has trials. And anybody can turn to the Lord and endure the trial without doing what he did. Um, how do you know if someone may soon take his own life? One person writes that there is a process of suicide that starts way before the act of suicide. And most people who take their own lives 
have been sending out signals for some time. Uh, they give warning signs, although the challenge is that usually those signs are clearest after they're already gone, which gets back to the fact you can say, I wish I would have paid more attention, I wish I would have done something. You are not responsible for what he chose to do. The other challenge is, is that there are so many people who will talk about it that you can't put them all in the mental hospital and hold them there indefinitely, right? Many, many people will talk about it. Many, many people will threaten. You always take it seriously, but you cannot know. God alone knows what they may do. But warning signs, you know, talking, I'm a big fat zero. The world would be better off without me. No one cares if I live or die. Or it, Actually, it's kind of she's just a little thing when Rachel says, give me children or I die. It's like, I want this, and life isn't worth living if I don't get it. It could be a, a woman who wants a baby. It could be a man who wants a wife. It could be a person who must have this job or this opportunity, which is another word for an idol. <laughs> this is necessary for me for life to be worth living. Well, what does the Bible say is necessary for life to be worth living? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that he alone is delightful, he alone is good and worth living for. The pleasures are to be found at his right hand. So this gets back to the lie thing. Uh, behaviorally, um, mood swings, loss of interest in normal activity, misusing substances, actually like Ahithophel, getting things in order. Um, taking, will you take care of my dog? I mean, just, it could be things as silly as that. Um, and then this SLAP, I did not make that up. But something I was taught and I've relied upon is there's a difference between somebody saying, I feel like I want to die, and somebody saying, I figured out how I'm going to do it and I've got the means available. So is there a specific plan which has lethal potential and they have the means to accomplish it? Do they have the pills there? And then how quickly can you get help to them? Uh, we had a situation several years ago where my wife had been counseling a lady and this is our anniversary I've planned a nice dinner <laughs> for us to go out on our whatever anniversary it was and this lady says I've got these pills and I'm going to take them my life is no longer worth living well what do you do can, can you wait till tomorrow because <laughs> this is our anniversary could you you know we'll come over tomorrow well, we went over there and the husband had no idea, so I'm in the kitchen talking to the husband, telling him what's going on with his wife that he was oblivious to. My wife is in the bedroom talking to the wife, getting the pills from her. Um, and we spend our anniversary in that setting. And we went to In-N-Out, because <laughs> that was the only place open when we finally left. She's still alive. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Uh, and... One time we almost had the husband committed. That's another story. Um, again, oftentimes people don't recognize till after the fact. Uh, you can learn from that and say, I'll be more careful, I'll understand. But the, God does not assign blame to you for that. The blame is with them for what they did. Um, and then what can you do? Well, caring. You know, we're about care and discipleship, not 
professional counseling in the sense of you have to be state certified and all the other stuff, all Christians, Paul says, I'm convinced you yourselves, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel, admonish, encourage one another. And so uh, we all can do things to help. If someone really is struggling to this extent, uh, try not to leave them alone. Ask them. <laughs> I mean, actually, most people have at least a little bit of doubt and kind of want to be talked out of it. And so asking them, have you planned how you're going to do it? Have you determined when you're... If you, are you serious about that? They'll usually answer you honestly, uh, which then gives you opportunity to go stop it. Uh, take them seriously. Don't, oh, no, it's not that bad. Your life isn't that tough, Ahithophel. Just roll with it. It'll be okay. No, we can have compassion. I mean, some people say just even say, okay, on a scale, like, like with physical pain, emotionally, what is your pain on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, do a lot of listening. What is it that this person wants? What is it they think they're missing? Um, again, what must they have? Don't argue. <laughs> Don't get into some debate. Remain calm. Um, and use the Bible as your authority. And this gets back to answering <laughs> Satan li Satan's lies <coughs> with the Word of God. Interesting, my, my plenary talk, I'm going to kind of do something similar with a person who's grieving over their past, but to, to use the Scriptures, uh, the wisdom of God, not Oprah Winfrey wisdom, not Dr. Phil wisdom, but here's what the Scripture says, and everything they say wrong, there's an answer in the Bible. They've been listening to lies, read them from the Word of God. I, have, I am beyond hope. I've, I've ruined my life. The teenage Christian girl has gotten pregnant out of wedlock. The man has done something shameful that caused him to lose his job and his reputation. Or maybe even something criminal. Uh, Seek the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah 55. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. To our God, he will abundantly pardon. We have a God who abundantly pardons sinners. His grace is greater than your sin. The blood of Christ is sufficient <laughs> to forgive. Hopelessness is a failure to recognize the greatness of God. God has forgiven many great sinners, and your life matters to him. He gave the life of his son to save people like you, and he can make you useful. And, I mean, I can understand, like you can think of somebody even in ministry where they've done something scandalous. I've lost my family, I've lost my church, I've lost my status, I've lost my job. Can you really trust that God who gave his son for you, he may not give you those particular things back if all the things you did, which sometimes people do, but he will use you somehow. He will work through you somehow. And you can glorify him. Back to, again, back to Steve's four squares, right? His four buckets. The bucket I've sinned, but then to respond in a godly way after your sin is an opportunity to glorify God, even if it's being humbled.
and broken. Pray with this person. Pray for this person. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you and you will answer me. Um, one answer to Satan's lie for God's people is, know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and pray to me. For those who are, belong to God, this is true. We have to, again, replace Satan's lies with that. I could give more examples. You may need to get help from appropriate people. Get more involved. Don't work alone. Don't promise to keep it a secret. <laughs> and if this person is in the process of working towards taking their own life, call 911. Uh, in our area, if someone is a threat to take his own life, they will put him in the psych ward for 72 hours. And that may be what they need. That will at least keep them alive, and sometimes it will get them past the critical period where you can consider their options. Jay Adams had said that I can solve any problem with a pastor, a policeman, and a doctor. Well, sometimes you need the doctor and the policeman to stabilize a person who otherwise would hurt, harm themselves and or others. Don't compromise your personal safety. Uh, you're not responsible to give your life to stop them from taking theirs. And you can't save them. God has to save them. Um, I've got references in your notes to more places that we probably have time to. Um, psalm 42 is a wonderful psalm in terms of for a person who is tempted to despair, who keeps coming back to hoping in God, um, enduring with Christ. There's a passage I'm going to just reference that kind of pulls some of this together as I'm finishing up. In John 11, you have the case where Lazarus is sick and Mary and Martha send to Jesus, say, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And what happened? He died. <laughs> and, and sometimes we don't understand why God doesn't do what we hope he would do. Sometimes God's inaction is perplexing to us. And we don't always get an answer as quickly as Mary and Martha did. Why did he die? Why didn't God do something? We also see in this passage that Jesus cares. Uh, when he's taken to the tomb, shortest verse in the New Testament, he wept. Even if I don't understand why he didn't stop it, or why he allowed it to happen, and biblically that person is responsible, not Jesus, for what they did, Jesus weeps over death and over what sin has done to the world. So the fact that we don't understand why he didn't stop it doesn't mean he doesn't care. He has compassion. And thankfully, as you keep going, he doesn't just hate death, he conquers death. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And all that we hate about death, even someone taking their own life, he is the one who has come, and as he raised Lazarus from the dead, he raises all those who trust in him. And that is our hope. I managed to finish four minutes early. It's because I skipped over a lot of verses. So that gives you a chance to ask me questions and see if I can try to answer them. Yes, sir. You had a situation uh, at the emergency phone uh, when it happened 
family member uh, committed suicide with a shotgun. I had to deal with the two brothers who were also law enforcement. They walked into the whole thing, and mom at the same time. Uh, they explained the whole situation to me uh, immediately. Mom wanted to know where he was at. Was he in heaven or was he in hell? And they were focusing in, on that. And what was your role in the situation? I was a pastor on call. Okay. So um, I, I did the Deuteronomy 29:29, and I, I tried to get them off of that and focused on them. What are you going to mm -hmm. do now? So, Absolutely. But um, they kept wanting to come back to the subject. And what are some of the things? I, I kept trying to get them off of that, but they were just, m mom was especially uh, gripped onto it. Uh, she believed, uh, she said he was a believer. Right. And so, uh, so you can say yeah. that that makes it easier for you in the sense mm -hmm. of saying that we know that if this person, John 3.16, or all the other passages they know, that if this person was truly trusting in Christ, then even this last sin he committed is covered in the blood of Christ. Yeah. You can make that if statement yeah. is a completely accurate statement. Okay. Uh, and I think you're very, but sometimes, I mean, this is true in many deaths, not yeah. just suicide, where pastorally they're saying, where is he? And you can say, we trust that God has done what is just and right, and we're thankful that there's hope for sinners in Christ, which is just what you were doing. Yeah. I really felt bad for his brothers because they were very despondent, and I can tell, you know, to walk into something like that. And I told him, I said, hey, I understand, and, you know, in a sense, because I've seen sure. those type of scenes before. And I said, hey, if you want to talk about it, when you're ready to talk about it, just call me. And so, you know, they were very, very quiet, very, very despondent about the whole thing. It was just a very, it was a scene that you didn't want to walk into. And it was just one of those things. And yet, that's part of your job. Yeah. Yes. Which I'm amazed that, I mean, I do it because I have to, yeah. but to it's amazing the Lord must give you great strength to be able to do that oh, more praying, frequently. I was praying all the way because you get the call and everything right. that's involved with it. So. Yeah. Do you think of those people? Go ahead. Um, real quick, just because we deal with ex-Catholics, everybody in our church is ex-Catholic. Ex-Catholics, our Catholics are absolutely brought up that, that suicide is the unpardonable sin. So even if they, they're converted to Christianity, I mean, they, are, they have that in the back of their minds and they battle it and they fight it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I imagine that was a Catholic family. Mom. But a mom for sure, yeah. And that's where you read the scriptures right. that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You know, they're just, you're reading the scriptures that affirm the gospel and God's grace. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that's the hope we have. That just, you're just plowing through those. And David was a murderer and an adulterer, and God covered his sins because the work of Christ was yet to come is sufficient to do that. Um, yeah, and you know, just but you think of those people too, like like even the thing I read by Artland, you're changed forever when it's someone close to you. And you know, I have, we have people in our church where family members, and I mean, decades later, it's still one of the most significant events in their life. And God has given them grace to endure, but you're never the same. And I imagine for you, just walking into that, it well, brothers, really affects you. The brothers that have uh, uh, shown up to church, so that that was a good thing to see. So I was really happy about that. Amen. It took a while. 
but yeah. they, they showed up and, and it, was, it was good to see that. Amen. Yes. Mm-hmm. But what if the person who committed suicide is an unbeliever? How does that passage apply? Yeah. It's like the death of all of their unbelievers that my hope is that, I mean, I deal with other unbelievers I love who have passed away in the sense that my hope for them is not a good hope because of what the Bible teaches. But what I believe about my Christ has redeemed me from death and the curse and that one day, even in heaven, every tear will be wiped away and somehow I'll be able to understand and accept what God must do, which right now I'm not very good at. So heaven will be a place where I'll be able to deal with that, but it's hard. And nobody's saying it's easy, but that would be my take. One day, in the day of judgment, I'm not going to be crying out to God saying, this isn't fair. But my heart is broken now over my dad, who appeared to have died a few years ago, out of the faith. Yes, that would be the last question. And I'm, I'm not going to rush off, but you, you get to go in just a minute. <laughs> okay. um, maybe uh, out of one of your resources here, or is there anything you would like to add? Uh, high percentage of people with PTSD committing suicide? Um, Charlie Hodges, who spoke for us a year ago, Charles, Dr. Charles Hodges, gave a talk on PTSD, um, and he's done some more work. It's on his website, Charles Hodges. It's on our website, that talk in the outline. So if you want something on PTSD, I think PTSD, it's not just people in war. I mean, it's people after horrible, I mean, that's traumatic stress to have run into that. And so... Again, that can be an influence, and so you have to, and what Charles does is a good job, is how do we as Christians who have, you know, helped someone who's been under that influence to address it biblically so that it doesn't determine their lives or taking their life, but they can address such a tragedy or the horrible things they've seen or experienced in a biblical way. But Charles Hodges, it would be on our website from the Spring Seminar of 2013, is one of the talks he gave. And it's also on his website. Let me pray and let you go. Father in heaven, we thank you that we do have a hope in Christ who has conquered death and what an enemy death is. We thank you that he has crushed the serpent who is the murderer and the liar. And one day he will come again. Our Lord will come again. And every tear will be wiped away. And his perfect kingdom will be established forever. We yearn for that day. And until then, give comfort to those who are grieving and struggling and help us to care for those and, and to have compassion and to reflect his compassion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Copyright 2014, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.